Oh, I was just commenting on the fact that it's not uh, well publicized, but the people who actually get spider bites are the ones who don't listen to the intro part of the curbside. (laughs) Yeah, it's a huge epidemiological issue. We should just have Sarah right. sit on every episode and just give one liners. <laughs> <laughs> the Curbsiders Podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and should not be interpreted to reflect the official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash like moral hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we aren't responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Curbsiders. Hi. Hey. Gotta make up for last time when I wasn't here. You're I'm glad you're here now, Stuart. Welcome, welcome back. Stuart, did you know that this is our 2018 recap extravaganza? And this is this is essentially our New Year's Eve celebration, and I think the listeners are gonna love this episode. So what's your New Year's Eve or what's your New Year's resolution, Matt? Before I tell you that, I think we should introduce the rest of our our uh, co-hosts on this call. Paul Williams, are you here? No, you guys carry on. This is fascinating stuff. <laughs> uh, so on this uh, this episode, we're gonna recap a lot of our favorite pearls from the year. We did a ton of episodes, but Paul, why don't you tell people what we normally do on this show? Then then our other co-hosts will tell people what we're gonna do tonight in a little more detail. Sure. Yeah. This is. Usually the internal medicine podcast, and we usually use expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge. And then I usually uh, berate you, the audience, uh, for not listening to the introductory stuff where we get to know our guests a little bit better. And I just I just want to take this chance to ask you to look deep inside yourself and just, and just think <laughs> for a minute, are you happy? And I mean that. Like, just think, at the, at the end of this year, am I really satisfied with who I am and what I've accomplished? I'm going to bet... That those of you who skip past the beginning, if you're being really honest with us and with yourself, more importantly, that answer is going to be no. And I'm going to guess, largely that's because you skip past the beginning of the episodes. So I might or suggest... Or listen to the end of the herpes episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's a TBD. That's an, um, so, I, you know, if, if you feel the existential void just sort of tugging at your soul, I might suggest that next year, maybe you'll listen to the beginning. And, and even if you don't, probably you should. Um, so anyway, Chris, what is it we're actually doing this time around? Yeah, so <laughs> this that was is amazing, our, Paul. I loved it. This is this is great. It's like he just shoveled everything from the entire year on the one little splurge there, vocal splurge. Uh, nothing else to say. Yeah, this is our 2018 recap extravaganza. Just like what Matt said, you know, it's it's been a whole year, and actually, last year was my uh, curbsider debut um, on air with the recap extravaganza for 2017. And it's been 60 episodes since last last year. So it's been a lot. And the whole team has worked really, really hard. We've had all sorts of things. Like we've started doing CME and mock credit for ACP. We started uh, a bunch of series, including, you know, the hotcakes, which I do for Journal Club. We're doing the Cash Like Morning Report series in human, with Human DX. We're doing all sorts of great things. And then um, probably one of the most interesting things and one of the most fun things I watched behind the scenes was the Women in Medicine series. So, you know, Stuart, do we have any like stats for the last year? Yeah, we have like four downloads and it's all from Paul. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Paul or Nicole? So, 
<laughs> I think it's actually from Nepal. No, to be to be honest, we have 156 downloads from Nepal. I checked them out just to make sure they're keeping up with the show. But no, we have almost 3 million downloads now. The average number of downloads per episode is get, creeping up a little bit past 30,000 downloads per episode. Um, I think if you recall correctly, uh, what was it, Matt? We were excited to get 30,000 the first year. Yeah, just about. We had a little over 30,000 in the first, first year, uh, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And then something I noticed when we were going through the stats, it looks like all the episodes that I skipped out on have the highest downloads. So thanks, guys. <laughs> Stuart, uh, this is kind of awkward time to do this, but you're fired. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it just rolled and credits and then we're done. That was the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually grown quite a bit on social media, too. I think our Curbsiders uh, Twitter, which uh, Hannah Abrams runs for us, we're at Right now, 6,322 followers, or 332 followers. Um, I think our Facebook is right around 2,000, and because um, I have not been working as hard as Hannah has, apparently. Um, and I think we're like in the, in the mid-teens for our YouTube, so good job for that. <laughs> mid-teens. <laughs> I think we have like 400-something, but yeah, it's pretty much mid-teens. All right. Before so before everyone tunes out, why don't we move why don't we move on Chris to some of our favorite pearls from 2018 and this is this is a bit of reminiscing but I think this is also remembering some of these pearls is great for consolidating your knowledge and that's that's why we like to do these checkbacks. For me looking back through the show notes, I remembered a lot of things that I part, partly forgot from the year. So this first one is from Cyrus. So let's hear what he has to say. Hey, what's up? This is Cyrus, one of the uh, clinical leads for the Curbsiders. Hey, Cyrus. I just wanted to say that I love the human diagnosis episode. I think it was quite entertaining to watch the guys struggle through some of those cases and uh, definitely funny, but also great to see Dr. Uh, Dr. Manesh kind of work through uh, his process to, uh, to addressing cases, and I thought that was really useful. So thanks. Happy holidays. So um, to add to that, um, Justin Burke also um, picked – the train your brain episode, as well as Matt, I think you also enjoyed the clinical reasoning episode. So sort of our first group of episodes that people really liked, especially among the curbsider crew are episodes 126, 131 and 132, which were the cash Lake morning reports with uh, Reza Manesh and produced by Hannah Abrams, um, as well as episode 103 and 90 with uh, Gupri Dhaliwal. What do you guys remember from any any great reminiscence of those episodes, guys? <laughs> no, I, 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 to be honest, I find the morning report ones painful to listen to, um, though actually fun to do. But I, I, I think I agree with virtually everybody else. The, I think the episodes of the group Tally while were particularly meaningful. Um, just in, the idea of, in terms of being deliberate in terms of how you think about things and sort of reasoning things through and actually going back and then revisiting cases that you've already seen, I, I feel were all really valuable points and. Probably that was probably the episodes of the Capri uh, were my favorites, I would guess. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's interesting that we kind of built on a foundation of clinical reasoning and clinical expertise. And then we started doing the uh, Global Morning Reports. It, it was almost like a, a natural outgrowth. It's almost like I, like we we planned that, but we, we didn't. Um, but it worked quite well, I think, to set the framework for it, the groundwork for it, and then to actually go through a few cases. I, I think it's really helped. I would definitely like to continue to do the case-based episodes, and I, I think one of the main things with, that that I took away from the our talks with Gurpreet Dhaliwal, the way that the way that he sort of crafted his cognitive training regimen, 
I, I can't remember if that's the exact terminology he calls it, but I, I think it, it sort of took a lot of guilt away from me because number one, I, I don't enjoy just like trying to read a hundred primary journals and, and kind of read entire papers myself. And I like how he said, you know, he, he does a lot of the secondary literature. He is aware of what's going on, but he's spending the majority of his time simulating cases, getting himself in front of cases, kind of giving himself feedback by looking back at his case log. And that, that was really paradigm changing for me. And I also saw today on Twitter, I think it is OHSU, the IM clerkship there, is actually using some of this uh, case log thing and kind of making it a part of their curriculum. I, I think actually our episode and also encouraging this patient log and tracking back your uh, following up on your patients. So, you know, that's just an example of how meaningful that episode was, not just to us, but to to the listeners. Yeah, it's very meaningful. And I think that that's, that would be great if that became standard practice. Yeah, and it's it's not a surprise that uh, that Reza Manesh's episodes are similarly popular because he is, as he mentioned on the show, uh, Gurpreet was his mentor, uh, so he's a mentee of Gurpreet, and you know, so this is uh, this is just another person who has been heavily shaped by Doctor Dollywall. I think one of my favorite things about the morning reports is literally I am with you guys. I am struggling just as you are, and it makes me feel like at one, like I. Okay, I understand that uh, I'm not the smartest in the room, and um, at least I don't feel like I'm the dumbest in the room because you guys are just right there with me. So I think that's always really fun, and I like listening to them on my way to work. And um, I just finished the last one, and you guys, that was that was a great episode. Uh, I'm still the- shocked that we got it wrong. I don't don't say what it was. My gosh, I'm shocked we got it wrong. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. I feel uh, gosh. I, I find it troubling. The people who like those episodes the most invariably use the word struggle in describing us. And I just like, I really enjoyed your struggle. And it was just great to hear you guys just do a not great job. It seems to be the recurring feedback. Struggling. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Paul, the way that I rationalize this to myself is none of us claim to be diagnostic reasoning experts or clinical reasoning experts. And I, I only even in the past year thought to think of that as really be thoughtful about about that skill about that skill set so i think it is just something that we will have to practice at and hopefully we'll get better over time but it is exciting to go through those cases i think i think people should try that at their morning reports and uh be on the hot seat it's you definitely will not forget the diagnosis that you missed i think some of the the cool things that I brought out from them, like from Kupri Dollywall, the, you know, as you said, Matt, um, you don't have to know all the articles. You just have to know about the articles that, that they exist. And then the way that in your morning reports that really, literally, you guys say, can we just Google it? Like being understanding, building your schema and bringing up your keywords in terms of your um, problem representation, um, then don't be afraid to Google it because that's how we get better and how we actually take care of patients. And I think it's, it's reassuring when I hear that on the episode for such smart people talking about it. Yeah. And, and then not to say that you should never read full articles either, just to, to backtrack to that. You read full articles when it's relevant to the patient, when you have to dig that deep into the, to answer whatever clinical question is in front of you, but you shouldn't necessarily just be trying to read every, every primary art journal article as it comes out. So. Okay. On to our next Pearl. This one comes from Hannah Abrams. My favorite pearl this year was from Dr. John Ryan on pulmonary hypertension when he showed us how he explains dyspnea on exertion to patients. He says it's like being on a freeway that's been reduced to one lane. 
Most of the time, you can make it past with just the one, but when it's rush hour, you really can't deliver blood efficiently enough and you get a traffic jam. I love that explanation, and I actually got to use it with some patients this year. So that was Hannah's pick was from uh, number 80, pulmonary hypertension, freeways, and cows and heart failure with uh, guest Dr. John Ryan. And that was produced by Jordana Kozupski. Um, what were some of your favorite takeaways from that episode, guys? The, the main thing to me that was helpful from that episode, I just, I feel like pulmonary hypertension, the terminology was a bit nebulous to me. And I think just knowing... It, this this uh, we have a figure that we put together based on Dr. Ryan's teachings. So sixty percent of pulmonary hypertension is caused by left-sided heart disease, and twenty percent is caused by chronic hypoxic lung disease, and another ten percent is caused by a combination of the two. So right there, you have ninety percent of patients pulmonary hypertension you can explain by either left-sided heart disease or chronic hypoxic lung disease, and that's just really powerful. The other thing that he said on that episode is that if you're looking at a patient, it's important to look the, with pulmonary hypertension, trying to figure out, is this pulmonary arterial hypertension or is this pH from, like I said, the 90%, the lung or heart disease? And you can do that by kind of talking about what's the company it keeps. So if it's a young patient with like Raynaud's and lupus, it's more likely to be pulmonary arterial hypertension. If it's like an older person with CKD, CAD, hypertension, sleep apnea, it's probably going to be left-sided heart disease. Um, and, you know, and then you kind of make your diagnosis based on that. And and I thought that was really useful. It's it, Certainly before that, I, I felt intimidated trying to figure out what was going on. And you can do a lot of this without a, a right heart catheterization. We also talked about cows. Yeah, what was that? I don't even remember what was that about. <laughs> oh, that was about the pulmonary capillary wedge pressure and pulmonary artery pr- pressure being the same amongst all mammalian species. I think, if I recall correctly. Well, um, s- sort of. No, no. It was that cows have totally such wrong. tight fascia around their ankles <laughs> oh. that they do not get lower extremity edema. They get oh. brisket shoulder. I believe was the was the joke. <laughs> I thought. No, I but you're talking right. about. Okay. There was there was a thing that uh, I believe the pulmonary arterial pressure, the mean pulmonary arterial pressure, should right. be the same in all mammalian species, but the systemic pressures differ based on the size of the animal. Huh. <laughs> he was at my I'm institution. Googling it right he now. was at Cashlack giving grand rounds two weeks ago, so I'm pretty fresh on the topic. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> this was a while ago. This is episode number eighty. This is almost an entire year ago. Yeah, no, we, we've we've got a great infographic on this. We'll include it with our show on notes cows? for this episode. No, just for pulmonary hypertension, oh. and it's I it's really good. So oh, I've I've used it several times. So next one is from Beth Garbs Garbatelli. Garbs. Um, I want to say that my favorite episode from this year, it's kind of hard to narrow down uh, which my favorites are because there's so many good ones. I really have enjoyed the Women in Medicine series. I think that it's a really important topic. I'm glad we're talking about it, and I'm really looking forward to the future installments of that of that series. Um, and I also really liked the Iron Deficiency Anemia episode, which is kind of from a while ago. I think it was from last winter or early in the winter of like January or February. Um, there were some good little uh, pearls of, of wisdom in that. So Beth picked um, our, some of the episodes from our newest Women in Medicine series. And actually, Nora Toronto also says she really liked the Be Bold, which was our episode 107, which was the first in the series, which was uh, guested by Vinnie Aurora and was produced by 
uh, Leah Witt, Shreya Trivedi, Nora Toronto, Sarah Phoebe Roberts, Molly Hoyblaine, Beth Garbatelli, and Hannah Abrams. And Sarah Roberts actually also picked the the second episode in the series, which was the Work Life Fit episode, which was number one thirty, uh, w- which had a guest um, Susan Hingle, which was produced by Nora Toronto, Shreya Trivedi, Leah Witt, and Sarah Roberts. Um, I think for the Be Bold episode, Matt, weren't you on that episode too? Yes, I was on that episode. And what I what I'd like to say about this series in general is that I'm I'm very proud of our team for putting this together. And I uh, I mean Leah Shreya and 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 the rest of the team there. Uh, I don't know who exactly is leading it, but uh, it seems like it seems like it is coming together very nicely. And I learn a lot. Uh, even as a man, I, I gain a lot out of listening to this series. So I would encourage if some of our listeners see that it says women in medicine and think it's not for them to listen to, I think it will make you a better clinician, a better colleague to, to listen to these episodes. Um, both guests had a lot of great teaching points. Yes. So from Vinny, the Vinny Aurora episode, what I thought was uh, very useful and that, which something I hadn't really heard of is the difference between coaching, mentorship, and sponsorship, and how to think about that, and how to seek out a coach if you have a very specific thing that you need to, you have some sort of very specific objective, a mentor is sort of a long-term relationship, and sponsors are people at a high level nationally with a lot of visibility that can really like point to you and bring you up to another level when when you might your name might not have otherwise been thrown into the ring and then with Sue Hingle I just thought the just her story about her partnership and how well they've worked together to craft this great life and career for both of them I thought that was just fantastic Yeah I have to say my my mother um who has not in medicine and is sort of mystified by the whole career path I've taken actually listened to the, the the second woman in medicine episode, loved it, made a point of mentioning it to me is showing the infographics to people that she works with. And she found she found that episode very meaningful. And I, I think that I got to be a part of the second one. Um, and that was that was one I, I really, really enjoyed. And I, I agree with your sentiment entirely, Matt. Like it's 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 not something it's just it's so helpful to sort of hear these things sort of said out loud and just to kind of kind of remind me um sort of a, a lot of internal struggles and stuff. So I just, I found the episode very meaningful and helpful. And then apparently so did my mom completely separately from <laughs> me even realizing that was happening, which is kind of great. Sarah, did you, as a producer on these episodes, uh, I, I mean, is there any, are we, are we leaving anybody out of this here? I, I want to be inclusive of everybody. And I know that you all have done so much hard work on them and been so thoughtful about choosing the topics. Um, no, I think you covered it. I think the, you know, the Benny's advice to be bold um, and to, to not, let uh, status quo hold you back and to, you know, be willing to to reach out for new opportunities is really valuable. And I think also um, something that's really stuck with me was uh, from Stacy Lindau. Is that the correct pronunciation of her name? Um, she said something on her episode, which I believe was about sexual dysfunction among women. She talked about how there's never a good time to have kids. Um, yes. And that idea was brought forward into the most recent Women in Medicine episode with Susan Hingle. Um, And she kind of broadened that to talk about life happens outside of residency, life happens outside of med school, and there are people for whom it's it's their specific job to figure out how to schedule around this and how to deal with that administrative and scheduling stuff. Um, So I thought that was something that was a really valuable uh, message that came out of the Women in Medicine series. Yeah, absolutely great points. 
at the end of Beth's uh, message, she also said that she enjoyed the iron iron deficiency episode. And I have to admit, um, this was number episode eighty four with uh, guest Michael Auerbach, and this mm-hmm. was produced by Justin Burke and, and you, Matt. Um, and I have to admit, this is actually an episode and a show note page that I refer to often and share with my residents all the time. Because um, in primary care, we're treating iron deficiency a lot. So yeah, um, I don't know what you guys' uh, um, feelings on the episode is. Oh, man, you, you, you know me and iron deficiency. It's like, it's like yin and yang, man. I, th- that is definitely something I'd love to talk about. I think I think Dr. Auerbach is the only person I've ever met who might be more enthusiastic about iron than Stuart. I, I think so. I think so. But uh, yeah, I actually have an opportunity. Do you remember Dr. Steensma from last year? Sure. Yeah. So like he, he and I are actually talking about iron deficiency and anemia on um, like an, an outpatient CME lecture series uh, coming up in January. Um, and this, this episode really, it, it's, it almost mirrors exactly, uh, uh, the things that, that, that I hold near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I'm not sure if I really, uh, feel as strongly about jumping straight to IV iron as, uh, Dr. Auerbach, but he, he is, he is definitely a proponent of IV iron for many, many a patients. And you're starting to hear a lot more of that in the, um, hematology circles anyways. So I suspect, who knows, maybe it will end up being more of a first line treatment for, um, many cases of iron deficiency. I'll tell you what was practice changing for me here and what was sort of practice affirming in some ways. So we had already talked for on the show for quite a while about the dosing iron thrice weekly. Mm-hmm. And yes, Paul, I love <laughs> saying the word thrice uh, when I now get to, uh, when I get to prescribe oral iron. And that's because we talked about hepcidin levels go up if you give a large oral load of iron. So it's sort of count, becomes counterproductive. So it seems like yeah. thrice weekly is the appropriate amount. What it, Dr. Auerbach was pointing out is that 70% of people can't tolerate it, whether it's GI side effects like nausea or constipation. So he yeah. very often will go to IV intravenous iron. And to me, what blew, the part of this that blew my mind is that if he says, if you have a young woman with menorrhagia, iron deficiency, anemia, hemoglobin seven or eight comes in with fatigue, weakness, right. you give IV intravenous iron, a thousand milligrams, th- that person will be cured before they leave your office. They, their symptoms, yeah. even though the anemia is not yet fixed, they will feel better from the iron deficiency. Mm-hmm. And that just blew right. my mind. So Sometimes now, clinically, when I think I have the right selected patient, iron deficiency, anemia, lots of symptoms, I will give the intravenous iron because I think that uh, sometimes you can avoid transfusion or sometimes you can supplement a transfusion mm-hmm. with that. Right. Yeah. I, it, I, didn't we also talk about CKD and hepcidin levels in that episode? I, I, I kind of get them all all kind of screwed up in my head but uh, it also explains the difficulty of absorbing oral iron and ckd because the hepcidin levels are already high the body's in a state where it's trying to prevent going into um essentially like an iron iron overload state so it doesn't want to absorb oral iron so those patients specifically um any kind of anemia not anemia of chronic disease but chronic inflammation or iron restricted erythropoiesis um as long as they don't have um any underlying infectious etiology that those patients do benefit from going to iv iron as well 
So one of my favorite takeaways from that episode, and I think it was the first time a lot of people heard about it, was about the soluble transferrin receptor. Um, the soluble transferrin receptor is not an acute phase reactant, um, so it's not elevated like ferritin, um, but you would see it elevated in iron deficiency, whereas in um, like anemia, chronic disease, or chronic inflammatory states, you would see the solu- soluble transferrin receptor would be normal. And so if you see that in that state, then that's how you differentiate between an inflammatory state and an iron deficiency state. Um, our next episode, our, our next up pearl comes from Anora Toronto, and here she is to introduce it. In thinking about what my favorite interesting episode pearl of the year was, I think I come back to the tick-borne disease episode uh, number 105 with Dr. Paul Sachs. I learned a ton in this episode about the natural history of Lyme, that the ticks are spreading out of their historical distribution down to the Carolinas and other places, as well as that, in fact, it is cool and safe to wear your pants tucked into your socks and to think about prophylaxing people in high-risk areas with high-risk jobs. But my favorite tidbit was probably learning never to trust a spider bite and that there's, in Dr. Sachs' words, a mass psychosis about spider bites being spider bites and that instead they're typically skin infections or tick bites if people are in endemic areas. Anyway, that's my two cents. I learned a lot from working on and listening to the podcast this year, and I'm super excited about the episodes we have coming up. Okay, bye. So Nora was referencing uh, episode 105, Lyme disease and tick-borne illness, with our recurrent guest, uh, Dr. Paul Sachs. It was, this episode was produced by Shreya Trivedi and Nora Toronto. What were you guys' favorite ep- um, pearls from this episode? I, I mean, I think she nailed the spider bite thing. That was just, yeah. you know, I've heard that forever. And I think even in college, like I had like a, I had like a, a, a skin infection at one point and I was like living in a basement somewhere and I was like, oh, this must be a spider bite. Like that's what I, <laughs> that's what I had been told. And it was probably, it was probably just MRSA. <laughs> <laughs> It's very Jungian. There must be something sort of just buried deep in the human psyche that uh, that has something to do with spider bites. It's very odd that it's just kind of everywhere and so prevalent because, yeah, it's just something you hear all the time. Yeah. Dr. Sachs, just such a great guest, always delivers, uh, so down to earth for how smart and how accomplished he is. And some of the some of the favorite pearls that I took away from both of his episodes, we we talked about we some of there was some overlap between the two. Doxycycline being every ID doc's favorite drug was one of them. And one of the reasons for that is because it does have some activity against C. difficile. And on the C. difficile hierarchy, it's at the very bottom with fluoroquinolone or clindamycin and fluoroquinolones being at the very top. And we talked about fluoroquinolones now having a black box warning for muscle and tendon injury and all all sorts of other things. So don't use them for wimpy infections. And uh, yeah, he just, just lots of great stuff from him. Guys, anything else from uh, the Paul Sachs episodes that you really liked? Not liked. I think his episode put the final nail in the coffin of my love of clindamycin. I think he's he's finally managed to talk me out of it. So, sorry, clindamycin. Yeah. <laughs> the C. diff rated your practice has plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. what's the next voicemail here? All right, the next one we have is from Elena Gibson. So here she is. My clinical pearl of the year comes from the STI episode with Dr. Dana Dunn, where she reminded us to make the sexual history routine, including questions about all sites of exposure, and then follow that up with testing 
all of those sites for Goddard and Chlamydia to achieve more sensitive diagnostics. I hope this lends to better outcomes for patients and more accurate diagnostics early on. Enjoy. So she's referencing episode 127, STIs, syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Guest was Dr. Dana Dunn, produced by Brian Brown, and contributions from Dr. Kate Grant. Um, I enjoyed that episode quite a bit, too. What, what, what was everyone else's thoughts? Paul, if, if I know you like I think I do, then your favorite pearls from that were probably the fact that you could get syphilitic hepatitis with an elevation of ALKFOS that's disproportionate, and the fact that syphilis could potentially cause nephrotic syndrome. And I am desperately waiting to diagnose either of those two things. <laughs> uh, I, just th- I just think that those are, were fun diagnostic pearls that she talked about. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really I actually like the point um, that Elena emphasized and that was made. It, and just being consistent with the sexual history and taking a thorough sexual history because it really is easy to gloss past that. Uh, and it, it's, it's such important information to treat an entire person. So I, I like that that point was emphasized. Yes, and I, I think all of us probably too are, are not throwing syphilis into the differential diagnosis often enough is, is another point that I kind of was the subtext of that whole thing. Yeah. I think one of the big takeaways I thought from the episode was like the whole discussion about like the reverse algorithm and yeah. syphilis testing because that had me all confused. And I think Brian did a great job in uh, doing a couple infographics for the episode that really helped me understand what was going on. So Justin Burke had a really great comment about this episode that wasn't specific to STIs, but um, has a great takeaway. I think one of my favorite episodes was from uh, our favorite moments was a recent STI episode. Uh, Matt and Dr. Dana Dunn were talking about teach back, and there was this epiphany that um, kind of happened very organically where I thought of priming a patient for education by telling them, you would be asking for teach back later. It just happened so naturally. There's this great moment where, you know, I think two passionate educators were discussing how to best serve their patients. And it's great that the curbsiders kind of creates that type of community. It's a great project to be a part of. Thanks. So we actually, so now we have sort of a grab bag of some other episodes that um, some of the uh, curbsiders on the curbsider team members have uh, also noted as we were talking about doing this episode. So Justin Burke and Kate, uh, Kate Grant both said they really enjoyed our physical exam episodes. So for those who um, want to try to find those, that's episode 98, which is on knee pain, which we had uh, the great Dr. Ted Parks. Uh, we recorded him at ACP. Uh, the episode was produced by Nora Toronto. And we actually did a great uh, 30-second knee exam video that's on YouTube that is by far our most popular video. Um, and then the other physical exam episode was number 124, um, which looked at the simplifying your approach to the shoulder. Uh, that was guested by um, Dr. Carlin Center and produced by Dr. Molly Hoiblein and Dr. Nora Toronto. Um, and that also has a good video online that has gotten quite a few views. As, as an aside, that episode um, actually debuted the 8-bit intro by one of our listeners, Radovan Anzolovic. <laughs> I'm sorry if I butchered your name. It was really cool, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we went through a couple different iterations, but that one ended up totally the best. And uh, I think everyone really liked that, too. Um, did you guys have any thoughts on that, uh, on those uh, physical exam episodes? I just, I think we should do more of them. 
and the the videos were great and hopefully we will be able to to do more video content like that especially with us doing some live stuff at conferences that's an opportunity most of our work is done remotely so it's harder for us to do some produce some of these video things but we will hopefully in 2019 have some more videos have some more msk episodes we've had a we've had a, a fair amount of people asking for more of that I tell you, I sh- I shared that video multiple times. The, at least the the knee exam because the McMurray's test. I mean, the way Ted Parks discusses it is it's amazing and it's fantastic. So um, let's see another one of the grab bags. So Dr. Molly Hoblein and Sarah Roberts both like parts of the things we did for no reason series, which are a very popular um, series in in um, the Society for Hospital Medicine or the Journal for Hospital Medicine. Yeah. And so we had one episode with Dr. Lenny Feldman, and I think we might have a couple more in the future. It was um, number 109 was produced by Dr. Justin Burke. Um, And um, actually, we sort of had a mini version of it because we had Dr. Tony Brew on our November hotcakes episode. And uh, Sarah really enjoyed that one where we talked about um, acute lowering of blood pressure and quote unquote hypertensive urgency, whether it was actually unnecessary and actually maybe harmful. Um, the, the sort of some of the quick takeaway points from the um, the episode with Lenny Feldman included um, talking about prealbumin and how it's really not that useful for malnutrition. Um, how testing for folate deficiency is not that great, and that shellfish allergy is not a risk for IV contrast allergy. I mean, those are all just great little mm-hmm. pearls I, I use every day. You know what's good for malnutrition? History and physical. <laughs> It is. I agree, Stuart. Uh, the The point, yeah. I I think I think it's most helpful if we get a little bit granular on the prealbumin albumin thing. Basically, they are negative acute phase reaction reactants. So if the patient is sick, if the patient's inflamed, they're going to be low. It has nothing to do with whether or not the patient's fed. And Dr. Finucane, who will, will be uh, featuring on the show in January, has some great talks he does on this. And Lenny, uh, he's known to Lenny, and I, I believe was part of, he, one of his studies was part of what prompted this Things We Do For No Reason. But there's, there's been people that have been uh, starving themselves, and it takes about 40 days or so before the albumin sh- starts to drop from starvation alone. So in the hospital, we routinely see patients admitted and their albumin will drop before our eyes and that's because they're sick and they're inflamed. I do not make checking this part of my routine practice. You, you have to fix the underlying problem and then they're, 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 they will maybe be able to start gain weight, but they're not going to gain weight when they're sick and super sick and inflamed. And I think that's the, the main point with that one. I think even the gentle reminder that the prealbumin is not directly related to albumin Yes, was mind blowing for a lot of people. That was just a, an electrophoresis artifact, and not not any direct relationship. I feel like blew a lot of minds. So I thought that was a great point to make. We're going to find that C peptide has nothing to do with insulin, Sutton. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the, the the shellfish thing on the things we do for no reason. It just uh, going through that in in more detail gave me a, a better way to explain that to patients that iodine is a natural thing in your body. And just because you have a shellfish allergy doesn't mean you're allergic to iodine or iodinated contrast. And that the only reason to, the only question you should ask uh, before you're giving iodinated contrast about allergies is like, have you ever had an anaphylactic reaction to iodinated contrast? If the answer to that is yes, 
uh, or anything that sounds scary, then you should think about it. But if they if they say I can't get that because I have a, a an allergy to lobster or shellfish, you should you should not you should not uh, worry about that. It's not it's not real. Speaking about speaking about allergies, where where is it that we spoke that we talked about penicillin allergies? I know we talked about that sometime during this year, and that was definitely one of the clinical pearls. I think that was quite useful that was um one of our hot kicks episodes where we yeah. had a guest uh Neda freja from uh primary care rep uh, we were talking about penicillin allergies that was yes that was a good one yeah so essentially most people don't have a penicillin allergy I, what was it like 90 plus percent yes yes and it's because these these patients get told when they're a kid they get amoxicillin and they get a rash and then they they're told they have a penicillin allergy when 90 percent of the time, these people do not have anaphylactic reactions, and you can you can send them to an allergist, and they can they can do skin testing, uh, provocative testing in a safe environment, and they can get that removed. And that is important because patients have worse outcomes when they do not uh, when they when they do not have penicillin as an option. What were your favorite? Were you do you have any specific moments in the year that you enjoyed, Paul? I. I... It's boring because it's most of the favorites that I've already brought up. So I really, like I mentioned before, I love the Gurpreet Dhaliwal. I love the Women in Medicine series. I think it's been amazing. And I, I like the physical exam stuff. So it's, I am boringly with the crowd for a refreshing change of pace, I thought. And then the things we do for no reason have all, were excellent too. So it's, I, it's, I'm finding it hard to disagree with any of these. So sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm coming up next, Paul. Ah, good. Thank God. Yes. So what do you got, Stuart? So I think my favorite moment of the year was in episode 88 when Joel Topps' grandfather clock struck every 12 minutes. That's by far my favorite moment of the entire year because I have no clue why it was striking every 12 minutes. Neither could he and no one could figure it out. And frankly, it was uh, distracting me the entire episode. And that's all I could focus on. Are we doing favorite moments of the year? Because I don't know. That's what I'm doing. Mine would no question be two picks of the week. I mean, one's probably more than a year old. So the the notorious jump rope from Matt Watto. <laughs> that but was then, last. That was last year's. Yeah, but <laughs> I think that was his pick of the year. But my yeah. favorite. Yeah, this will be my pick of the year every year. My favorite is and we talked about this before when Stewart recommended The Resident, a god awful television show that he then had to go back and unrecommend because he watched it and then realized it was just terrible. So. <laughs> Those were probably my highlights. The clinical stuff was good, but that was the stuff that really just makes me smile on a legitimately daily basis. <laughs> yeah, I still don't like that uh, that program. Hasn't changed at all. Um, I, I do think my favorite episode is probably the episode on, on aspirin, mainly because I just don't like aspirin. And I think it's overused, um, relied on a lot, and the data really is not convincing. For primary prevention, of course. Of course. For primary prevention, correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Don't, your patient who's had a heart attack and has a stent, please don't pull them off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nope, We're not talking about them. You're I'm sorry. I should have uh, Stuart Brigham recommends stopping all aspirin. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuart no Brigham aspirins anymore. I, yeah, I, I just wanted to highlight a couple other uh, very quick things. I thought Barbara Phillips, our sleep apnea episode, such a high yield topic. Her, her just kind of blatantly going against her field and just saying, like, home sleep studies should be much more widespread, put the people on auto-titrating CPAP at a pressure of 8 right. to 16, and then kind of bring them back mm-hmm. later and look at what the average pressure was and set the pressure to that. I thought that was just, like, so usable. And hopefully totally hopefully in the near future, CPAP will be much easier to get. And the, and the other— You mean APAP? Auto-titrating CPAP or APAP, yeah. She called it auto-titrating CPAP. And the other, nice. the other point she made was that patients who have a home sleep study are more likely to believe it and, and adhere to their, their uh, CPAP therapy. 
Um, and then and then another diagnosis that I'm waiting to get, Dr. Sheila Crow, we talked about food allergy and intolerance. Oh, I'm just yeah. I'm just trolling med lists for Omasartan. And I thought I had one uh, patient that I found with uh, drug-induced enteropathy, which looks just like celiac disease and is caused by Omasartan, but I, I haven't yet diagnosed it, but I will. You should do that during like a, uh, a stump the professor rounds and like, oh my gosh, there's Omasartan right there. I feel like as the recalls on the ARBs keep rolling in, it's, that's we're going to be left with almost certain, and then we'll be seeing a lot more of it. So, <laughs> Well, every time I have someone bring it up, they're like, oh, we have to take them off this ARB. And then, like, how about almost certain? I was like, no, you don't want to do that one. <laughs> well, no. Next thing you're going to see is Azelsartan. Yeah. We talked about that one a little bit, too, during the sprint trial <laughs> way back when. I still haven't seen anyone at Azelsartan yet. Okay. And, and this, and <laughs> I guess the final episode that I'll, that I'll highlight, and I'm sorry if I'm forgetting anybody's episodes, uh, there's there are so many. Like we said, we had sixty of them. The the one of our most recent episodes is the depression and suicide mm, episode. Yeah. I mean, the I've never seen such an outpouring about anything we've ever put out. Uh, our team, starting with some of the med students on the team, Nora Toronto and I believe Beth, uh, were were sort of had brought this up. Maybe Hannah as well had brought this up uh, a long time ago. I was very reluctant. Then Shreya and Dr. Poorman started sort of just being like, hey, when are we going to do this? Can we do this? And uh, we went with it, and they thought of a great way to to format it, and it really resonated with people. And I'm just very proud that uh, that they, they put together such a great episode that I could be part of that. So thank you to them. Yeah, that was, that was an honor to be a part of that episode. Very, uh, very humbling. But also... Uh... I think uplifting in a way too, knowing that that we don't suffer alone. Yeah, I think I think all this stuff is in general. Uh, you know, we try to mix in some of these topics with the the clinical topics that we do, and the fact that the whole community is starting to talk about some of these deeper issues that have been plaguing internal medicine or just medicine in general. Uh, it's being talked about on Twitter. It's being talked about at a national level. Uh, hopefully, these things will these will. Uh, this will stimulate action and some of these things will start to get better. So I'm bullish. I'm bullish on the profession of medicine. But guys, you heard it here first. I think it's going <laughs> to, things will get better. Mm -hmm. Things we do for some reason. <laughs> Hashtag. Can I, can I be uh, sincere for, we'll do it like three minutes, maybe not even, <laughs> but I, I just, I think the consistent theme with the show is it's, I don't think we ever portray ourselves as experts and we're just people trying to figure it out. And I think that's probably the thing that resonates with people more than almost anything. So whether it's the women in medicine or the, the depression show or it's just the clinical topic that we don't have expertise that we're trying to develop. And I think I have found this experience to be, I don't know why I'm, like, I'm reading my own eulogy, but this has been incredibly inspiring. To, to, and it's really encouraged me to remain consistently intellectually curious, which I think is probably the most important trait um, any physician should have is just to want to know why and want to do better and want to keep learning about things. So I, I think the show has in some ways forced me to do that in some ways actually really sort of restoked enthusiasm. You know, as I sort of drift into mid-career, it's kind of easy to kind of try to coast to the finish line. But instead, you all have prompted me to, to really remain intellectually curious and try to keep bettering myself. So I just I want to say it's been just an incredible experience. And I look forward to another year of it. All right. I think this is a good place to end it. I want to thank the hosts here, as well as the Curbsider team members and all the listeners for joining us on another year-end recap. We'll see you next year. Paul, take it away. 
This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Get the show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast and sign up for our mailing list at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. Yay. We're committed to providing you with high value practice exchange knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. Yes, Paul, I mean you. We need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or contact us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. Paul, you've never reviewed us, by the way. And I wanted to also thank our illustrious, our illustrious Cashlack chiefs, including our chief of medicine, Dr. Robert Uncle Bob Centaur, our chief of nephrology, Dr. Joel the Salt Whisperer Toff, and our chief of POCUS, Dr. Renee Diverstall. And Renee, we'll we'll get you a nickname at some point. I thought it was Dr. Joel Kidney Boy Toff. No, you know, I kind of, I think he has multiple nicknames because he's that kind of person. I would also like to thank, we have a huge team of people that brings the show to you, uh, our whole Curbsiders crew. So I was counting on our Slack channel today and there are about, there are about 18 of us total who are contributing to the show on a regular basis. Uh, If you, if you take me out of the equation, I guess 19, if you include me as well. And, uh, and then there, there was a bunch of other co- uh, contributors from this year as well. So I will name them in no specific order. Dr. Shreya Trevetti, Dr. Leah Witt, Dr. Molly Hoyblind, Dr. Carolyn Chan, Jen Wado, who is my wife, our, our marketing director and my continual, I, I constantly consult her for things about the, con- the curbsiders. Also, Dr. Justin Burke, Dr. Brian Brown, Dr. Cyrus Askin, Dr. Fatima Syed, Dr. Kate Grant, Nora Toronto, Hannah R. Abrams, Beth Garbs Garbatelli, Sarah Phoebe Roberts, Elena Gibson, uh, Dr. Paul Williams, Dr. Stuart Brigham, Dr. Chris the Chew Man Chew. We also had contributions this year from Jordana Kazupski, Chris Thrash, and Neela Bajandas. So I think that's everybody, and I'm sorry if I forgot anybody from that list. Well, one person on that list is our producer, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Phoebe Roberts. I am a 30-year-old researcher, public health nerd, and currently a very old pre-med student. I work behind the scenes on the Curbsiders, helping with writing, production, and show notes. I've worked on a few standalone episodes, but I am most excited to be contributing to the ongoing Hot Cakes and Women in Medicine series. Uh, It's been a really amazing year, and I've learned so much from the Curbsiders team and our incredible guests. And I think one of the things I appreciate the most about this podcast is that it combines clinical content with discussion of the culture of medicine. And I think the Women in Medicine series really exemplifies that. So on that note, we'd like to leave our listeners with some sign-outs from the rest of the crew. Thank you, everyone, and have a happy new year. Hey, this is Dr. Justin Burke. I've produced and hosted a handful of Curbsetter episodes and occasionally have posted a related tutorial. Um, I think the Curbsiders is great, not just because of all the clinical pearls that are shared, but also how the culture of the show just makes learning medicine a lot of fun. The guests, the jokes, the puns all kind of create this unique, enjoyable learning environment, whether you're in your car or cooking dinner. Hey, this is Kate Grant. I'm a doctor in uh, England, and I am part of the Curbsiders team. I've been um, on board for about 15 months now. My contribution is um, to prepare my fair share of the episodes, which equates to about four episodes a year. That's sort of um, script writing and ideas and a lot of the um, infographics and um, sort of illustrations for the social media platforms are 
are you know partly my work as well as some of the other amazing artists on the team so um i had to explain to my um supervisor the other day what curbsiders was all about because he couldn't really quite place it and he'd listened to one of the episodes that i did about valvular heart disease and after I told him that it was a little bit of sort of medical journalism and podcasting, script writing, reading, illustration, chit-chat, he said, how much time does this actually take you? I said, well, as much time as it takes me. He said, well, why are you doing it? And I said, well, it just keeps me alive. I just feel like I have so much fun educating myself and um, having all the rest of the team just pour out all of their knowledge and experience. It's um, really quite an amazing um, experience to be part of this uh, incredible group of people. Um, I can thoroughly recommend it and I've pretty much listened to every single episode and I can say that I've learned something pretty important from every single person on this team. Have a great Christmas. Hello, this is Elena Gibson, fourth year medical student who enjoys learning from the brilliant minds and role models on the Curbsiders team by helping create content, show notes, and graphics for episodes. Hi, this is Nora Toronto, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at the University of Chicago. I've worked for the Curbsiders for over a year. My main role has been in researching, writing, and producing episodes, from pre-script topic brainstorming to post-show production. I've gotten the chance to work on some wonderful episodes, most recently our episode on work-life balance with Sue Hingle, and physician depression and suicide with Elizabeth Foreman. Really, maybe I'll even come on air sometime. It's been an absolute joy. It feeds my creative self, just like we were talking about in episode 129. I learned a lot from working on and listening to the podcast this year, and I'm super excited about the episodes we have coming up. Hey, this is Beth Garbs Garbatelli. And I help out by uh, managing the Instagram account for the Curbsiders, and I've gotten the opportunity to help out on a few episodes um, over my time with the team. Um, one thing I want to say is I want to give a big shout-out to the great work that Hannah Abrams and Chris do on Twitter and Facebook, respectively. Those are not easy platforms to stay on top of, and they do a really great job, um, really fantastic work on those platforms. And I want to say that I have a lot of gratitude uh, to be a part of the Curbsiders. I really look up to all of the Curbsiders team members, um, and I'm always thinking about the little things that I learn in the podcast um, while I'm going through my training. So it's been super helpful for me um, and just a lot of fun. And finally, I'd like to say a big thank you to our listeners. We have such a great crew of listeners, um, and we love hearing from all of you. So thank you for tuning in. Hi, my name is Hannah Abrams, and I've produced a few episodes this year, including our ACP episode and Cashlack Morning Report. But my main role with the Curbsiders is supplying a steady stream of puns via our Twitter account. So follow us at the Curbsiders. Until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto. And this is Dr. Stuart Kent Brigham. I'm Chris the Chew Man Chew. And I remain Dr. Paul Nelson Williams, and goodbye. Oh, hi, Paul. And good night.
love how we're going from Paul yeah. just said the uh, Paul just said the most beautiful speech ever, and now we're gonna hear about Stewart's ambient binge eating. Hot dog binge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, that story felt like ambient.